This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. Work smarter, not harder, Dad. That's my philosophy of life. That was my philosophy in graduate school, and I think it worked out okay for me. <laughs> you did all right. <laughs> I just don't need another award. I've got too many. Welcome to Hello PhD a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we share the secrets for winning a poster award at your next conference. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 196. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey, Dan, are you surviving the sweltering heat of summer? I stay inside as much as possible, so I haven't noticed. <laughs> it's, it's going great. Thank goodness for air conditioning, one of the greatest achievements of humanity. I think that's true. You, you may be joking, but I think it's pretty amazing. I was reading something just this week about how the air conditioner industry is booming right now uh, due to record heat waves and global warming and sort of the estimated continued growth of those industries worldwide over the next 10 to 15 years. So, Dan, maybe we should just transfer all of our investments into HVAC production companies. I, I think it's funny that Hello PhD has turned into a finance and investing podcast. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Do not take our advice. We're terrible at this. <laughs> That's true. Uh, that is true. Uh, but one thing you should take our advice on is beer. That is something else to keep you cool, Josh, and that people have enjoyed. Uh, I brought you a beer from your current home state, which is uh, when I was in Annapolis a couple of weeks ago, we went to a brewery called Forward Brewing. And they had a little kind of a brew pub. Uh, we ate some food. We had some beers. And I brought this back because I thought it was interesting. The one I brought is called Bacchus et Ceres. They say this is a hoppy lager co-fermented with Gewürztraminer grapes and dry hopped with tango. It is a fruity white wine grape with notes that finish dry and crisp, similar to a dry white wine. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I like this, Dan. I will say right off the bat, this is very pleasing to me. On a warm day, it does have the crispness of a lager or white wine. I could see that now that you now that you said it. But as someone who enjoys an IPA, but I've been looking to expand my palate and expand my typical uh, beer selection, I think this is a good middle ground for me because it's got the crispness of a lager, but definitely the hops are present too that, that harkens an IPA for me. Yeah, it is. I would say it is toward the IPA end of the spectrum. It is if you order this thinking you're getting a lager, it's going to taste a little bit more bitter for you. But um, it is it is refreshing, and it comes from Annapolis. So we've done I think two drinks now from that general region of the world. Is that right? Yeah, Maryland has been well represented on this show, Dan. I think I'm hopeful that this is convincing you to move up to Maryland, and we could record in person again uh, in Maryland. What do you think? I don't know. It was weird to be back together last time. It's just like so I'm not used to, I'm used to seeing your face and a tiny little picture on my computer screen. I'm not accustomed to like staring deeply into your eyes while we podcast. So it was a little off-putting for <laughs> just me. It's like we always used to do. That's right. Yeah, we did. I, I do want to say though, I like this beer. I would definitely recommend it. Um, and 
you know, Dan, I also, I really do think the, the grape juice gives it a characteristic that is in there. This little something special, something unique uh, to the flavor. So uh, five stars, highly recommend. I may need to make the drive over to Annapolis to check out Forward Brewing. I'll bet you they distribute it near you, and hopefully this makes up for the Cheerwine Ale that I made you drink a couple of weeks ago. I'm still recovering. (laughs) All right, Josh. Well, another recommendation I can make is that if you have career goals in mind, I recommend that you make sure that you and your PI are on the same page. And you can do that by creating an individual development plan, uh, also known as an IDP, that ties your responsibilities and learning objectives to your professional growth. And it's something you can have a conversation with your PI about. Uh, You can learn how to write an IDP by going to promega.com slash hello IDP. So check that out. It's a great resource. All right, Dan, let's move on to our topic of the week. All right, Dan, that was a great interview you did last week with Dr. Zen Fox about uh, better posters and poster presentations in general, but you had an extended conversation with Dr. Fox about something I don't think we've talked about surrounding the topic of posters. What did you talk to him about? We covered the concept of a poster award or a poster competition, and I, you'll hear in the beginning of the interview, Josh, that I don't know much about poster awards. <laughs> I didn't compete in one. I certainly didn't win one. Uh, but so because it was a bit of a black box to me, I was really happy to have Dr. Fox explain to me not only what it is and why a poster award might be valuable for your career development, but also, you know, is there something that I can do to be a candidate for one of these to actually win? And he shares some of those secrets. So take a listen to this. Today, I'm joined once again by Dr. Zen Falks. Zen, welcome back to the podcast, and thanks for making the time. I am amazed and surprised and delighted to be back. <laughs> it does happen. It does happen. Well, you are the expert in posters. You've got a book, Better Posters, also a blog with the same title. And so hopefully people have been able to check that out and listening to the uh, last episode where we talked with you. Today, I wanted to, to bring you on to talk about something that I don't know very much about. I never, I don't think I participated in one. I certainly didn't win one. There's something called a poster competition at many conferences, and I just don't know a lot about it. And, and you say that you can help us to understand how to actually win a poster competition. So where do we start? Can you tell us what that poster competition entails? Absolutely. This is something that you see at a lot of conferences, particularly sort of mid-sized conferences that are maybe a few hundred to maybe up to a thousand, few thousand people. You tend not to see them at the really, really huge conferences like Society for Neuroscience because there's just too many unless they are broken down and like there's some subcategories or something like that. But at a lot of conferences, they will invite people to say, do you want to be considered in a poster competition? And there will be some sort of judging process. And as a prize, there is in, I am learning, in a lot of cases, cold, hard cash dollars for grabs. And in other cases, some conferences have multiple kinds of categories. And in all cases, winning a poster competition is a competitive award. And that, for an early career researcher, is gold. Anything that you are awarded on a competitive basis 
is so important to your CV because people like to back winners. So even if like your CV is super short, but you've got a poster and it's an award-winning conference poster as you're getting started out, that award makes it just that much easier to win the next award. The Matthew effect is very real in science and academia. And it gives people reviewing your CV a shortcut. They say, I don't know a lot about this person's work, but these other people judged it to be very exciting and useful. Stepping back two steps, what kind of money are we talking? What is it? Is it money that goes toward your well, research? It's just cash in your pocket? As a graduate student, I could have imagined really wanting some cash in my pocket. I've been sort of looking around, and I have not found what the best paying competition is. I don't think it's going to be like the poster pro tour that you can just go around from conference to conference and win off the livings like NASCAR right? or anything like that. It's going to be more like, yeah, you get a little bit of your conference costs subsidized, or you maybe get like a couple of movies and nice dinners out of it. I've seen a few that were a few hundred dollars. I think okay. I might have even seen that one that was $500. That's the um, order of magnitude we're discussing. And, and that's uh, not the important part. I, oh, I was just curious. I think yeah. that I think the CV line, no, as and, you're saying, is, is the thing that we are after here and, and something that you can build upon over your career. So it, yeah. I just got excited. Absolutely. It, it's well, and it's so important, I think, Early on, like every little every little thing early on when you've got that short CV becomes so, so important because, again, other people are looking at sort of the length of your CVs and awards and all of those sorts of things. They, they help so, so much. Is so there, even if you just get a little you know, piece of paper certificate, that's a verifiable achievement. I think it's I think it makes total sense. Is there anything that should prevent me from entering? You said that some people are invited to enter. Can anybody be part of the poster competition? Do you have any idea about those rules? Usually it's voluntary. So people actually when they are submitting, say, the abstract for their poster, they have to check a little box or something to say, I want to be entered into the poster competition. So in some cases, there may be some people who are like, you know what, this is just another thing to do. All I want to do is I just want to go to the meeting. I don't want to spend a lot of time on my poster. And this is just another thing I have to worry about. And I am not going to put in a huge amount of effort. So I'm not going to put myself up for that that competition. And if that's people's attitude, like you're you value your time in other ways. You want to spend time at the bench or you want to spend time at the conference talking to other people rather than standing by your poster. That is completely fine. You know, that's a completely leg legitimate way not to, to do it, a reason not to do it. Or maybe you just think, I'm, I just don't need another award. I've got too many awards already. There's no room in the display um, cabinet I've never anymore. met anyone like that. <laughs> <laughs> all my uh, Emmys exactly, and Oscars. Exactly, It's It's full. Is there a downside? So let's <laughs> say my poster is really terrible Am I and I enter the poster competition because do, does it require anything of me? Do I have to stand there There's with a, a judge and present my poster to them? It actually takes time? Yes, you would have to. Typically, there, with a poster session, 
there is a presentation time where you are expected to be by your poster, right? And usually it might be like an hour or two out of four hour block or something like that. But there's usually an allotted time when you're expected to be by your poster. And typically the conference organizers or the competition organizers will arrange uh, a series of people to act as judges and they will make a point. They will have a list of when your poster is scheduled to be presented by you so that they can find you to specifically ask you about your poster and have a conversation about what is on the poster. So you shouldn't have to do anything more than what you are sort of nominally obligated to do, which is stand and present your poster at a certain time. Okay, so That's if right. my plan was to get my poster into the conference so I could go hang out at the clubs in whatever large city, this is not a good plan to enter the poster competition because you really mm-hmm. should be at your poster during that time. But I don't think that's most of our listeners. And and are there any other reasons that I should enter it? I've got the, the CV, this good practice to present my poster. Anything else that we need to know about mm-hmm. why I should f- pursue this? Well, one advantage is that you have a guaranteed audience. You will be talking to somebody like during the conference, during your poster session. Because unfortunately, one of the things that can happen during a poster session, and this can be you know, so demoralizing to people, is they go, they present their poster, and they get shut out in the sense that nobody comes up and talks to them. Now, I personally have never had that problem but I know that there are some people who, for whatever reason, they just never get anyone who comes in and talks to them during their poster. And that, I can see it. It's, it'd be just crushing to stand there, you know, watching everybody else go by, seeing people at other posters, having good conversations, and you're just waiting and waiting. And this way, if you put yourself up for the competition, you know you will have at least one judge who will come and talk to you in a serious conversation about your poster. I think that's great. I, I you know, I, having walked around ASCB conference recently, depending on where you are, if you're along an aisle or if you're near the, the drink station, you're going to get much more traffic than if you're one of the people that's kind of put in the back corner yes. far to the edge of the hall. And so... Don't take it personally if nobody necessarily comes by your poster. But as we talked about in the last episode, people are probably coming to your poster because they have read something about your abstract or they've reviewed the the catalog mm-hmm. of posters. And so they are seeking you out. Maybe they just missed yours. Who knows? But there's yes. not a lot of wandering by necessarily that happens to get to a poster. There, There's definitely some. There are definitely people who browse and will just stop and look at posters that catch their eye because a lot of people will, you know, search, they'll look through titles, they'll look for keywords of things that are relevant to them beforehand. But nevertheless, you can still have, as you say, you can be stuck in a corner someplace where you, it's harder for people to see. A lot of times conference organizers don't do a great job of managing space and so they'll put some poster boards right next to a wall so people can only get to the poster board if they make it all the way past the other posters and come right up to the wall where yours is so yeah it can be difficult for there there's definitely some advantages to some positions in the the hall in the poster session Okay, so we've decided to enter the poster competition. We know the the stakes are high. 
how are we being judged? Because the research is going to be all different. And I assume that yes, they have to remove some aspect of the fact that you're studying invertebrate neurology and I'm studying pancreatitis or something. How do, how do we judge two posters so differently? Yeah, this is where the real key part of the, the secret is, which is that quite often a lot of conferences will actually somewhere on their website or maybe in an email before, they will actually give you the scoring sheet. They will show how exactly the things that people are going to be using to judge the posters on. Now, this is not true for all conferences, but certainly if this isn't true for yours, you could maybe do a couple of things, which is you can ask the organizers like, hey, is there an actual scoring sheet from like maybe a past meeting? Um, if not, look at some other conferences, like go in and Google poster competition scoring sheet, poster competition rubric, something like that. And you will pull up quite a few of them fairly quickly. And that will give you an idea of what it is that the judges are going to be looking for. If it's for your particular conference, score, goal, you know exactly how it is that you're going to be judged. So uh, some people are maybe familiar with the grant writing process where it's like you have a grant proposal guide or, you know, anytime that you're given guidelines, you can sort of work backwards from those guidelines and make sure that you hit all of those targets, right? So you can basically treat that those scoring sheets as a checklist of like, okay, do I have this? Do I have this? Do I have this on my poster? And quite often the the funny thing about the scoring sheets is that they will include things and they will actually have a score for really stupid things that you shouldn't have on your poster. And I'll give you an example. I've seen some competitions where they will actually give points for having an abstract on a poster, which I'm sorry, abstracts on a poster are dumb and they should not be there. There should not be an abstract on a poster. There's just no need for that. A take-home message, yes. A clear conclusion, yes. But, but the full abstract. A summary of the thing that I am standing and looking at, yes. Like a full abstract like you would have for a journal, no. That is futile and pointless and i think it's dumb unless you're trying to win a poster competition and there's points for that then by god you put the abstract <laughs> i am i am googling for these score sheets as we're talking and the one i just pulled up it said yeah uh, so you get 20 points for abstract but in parentheses mm -hmm. it says not required to be on poster i have no idea what that means i guess that means in the conference documentation maybe they yeah. the abstract and, and that's good enough that, that's probably what they're doing because yeah usually what they are what happens with many many conferences right is that in order to plan they want a title the authors and an abstract so that they can make that available on the website for people so they can plan what posters they want to see before they get to the conference so they may be judging the written abstract but it may or may not be on the poster. Sometimes it is required to be on the poster. And that's the kind of, those are the kinds of little details that you can start to leverage up because most posters are going to be kind of, well, average. 
That's the nature of average. So any way that you can just sort of eke out a few little points here and there, because you actually know how the posters are being assessed, is really going to help put you in contention for the poster competition above people who are just going and doing their regular postery thing. This is so good. I've looked at three or four of these now. Uh, the one I'm looking at now says abstract quality, five points total. So much lower uh, value according to this particular one. But if it's absent, you get a zero. So again, to your point, know the rules yes. of this particular conference. If you had a poster and you presented it at a different conference, yeah. that may not be the same poster you should present at your new conference because they may have totally different rules. But what you do find when you start looking at a lot of these, because you may be unlucky and maybe that particular conference has a poster competition, but maybe they don't have a scoring sheet or maybe it's being handled by some other group and maybe they don't want that, which is fine. But in that case, what you can still use are just other conferences because what you'll see really quickly is that there's a lot of similarities between them. And so you can usually make pretty good educated guesses about what am I likely to be judged on? And having looked at a lot of these, I will say, for instance, in most cases, I will say that I've looked at a lot of award-winning conference posters because I've written the blog and I follow that. That's my thing. And in many, many cases, the award-winning posters visually, graphically, are not very good. They're very, very average looking. Really? And that's because usually, yeah, yeah. I actually have a, a paper where I looked at award-winning papers from one of the biggest meetings in the world, the American Geophysical Union, their annual December meeting. They have a poster competition for undergraduates and graduate students. And a lot of those posters are ugly. The, this is not a comment on the science contained within the poster or anything like that, but just visually, a lot of them are very, very run-of-the-mill posters. And you, and in some cases, are they're, I look at them and go, wow, there's a, so many ways that they could be improved. So this is really the key thing that you, in most cases, what's really going to weigh heavily in a poster competition is the actual science or scholarship or the content of what you're doing and how you're presenting it. And so what tends to break out in the score sheet and different things is what is the question that you are what is the is it an interesting question is it an important and relevant question do you have a clearly stated hypothesis this is actually one that turns out to be really really hard and that a lot of students really really struggle with how to clearly frame a hypothesis versus just a generic research question do you make a prediction do you have results that are analyzed statistically or appropriately? There, you know, it can be phrased in different kinds of ways. Is there a clear conclusion, a clear take-home message? All of those kinds of things are all about how cleanly are you presenting the scientific content within your poster. And that is usually the primary thing that posters are being judged on. And then it's like, is it legible? Can I read it? Eh, there's a couple of points for that. But that's really the key thing that you have to work on is figuring out, okay, how, what is going to be the best way that I can present the scientific side of the poster? And 
really show that in a that it is high quality research because that is what ends up being uh, important in a lot of cases. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think to your point, that is really revealed in these score sheets. The one I'm looking at at this moment gives, I'd say, 60 or 70 percent of the points for does your introduction Mm -hmm. section provide concise background information to, again, clearly stated objectives and or hypothesis? Did they use the appropriate methodology to assess the problems? But there's, there is a section for appearance. And is the overall appearance good? Is the color balanced? Is the font easy to read from a distance? But again, that is a small portion yeah. of the overall score. And so I could produce brilliant science, clearly described, and ugly as sin, and mm-hmm. win this award. Yep, you absolutely could. On the other hand, you could be the Michelangelo of posters and... That's my goal. Have- a fantastic looking poster, but you don't label your error bars. And when this judge asks, what are the error bars? Are they standard deviation, standard error, or confidence interval, or minimum and maximum? And you go, I can't remember. Tick that box down. You've got something on your poster and you don't even know what it is. That's not a good look. Your poster looks great, but you can't answer a basic question about the graph. That's going to sink you. So it, that is really the case that if you're thinking about where am I going to put my time, it's really going to be in making sure that conceptually you have a really rock-solid understanding of what it is in your discipline that they're going to be asking about. And in most of the sciences, the natural sciences, that's going to be what's your question, what's your hypothesis, your prediction, what are the statistical tests are you doing? Those kinds of nitty gritty details end up weighing quite heavily. So you really want to have those in really, really solid. And if you can make your poster beautiful, great. But if you're just thinking about how to maximize your time, you really want to work with other people, get that feedback on how can I best explain what it is that I am trying to do to show that it's high quality research. I really like the idea of taking, let's say you found this rubric for your uh, particular conference. I really like the idea of taking it to one of your graduate student colleagues who is not so familiar with your research necessarily Mm -hmm. and saying, look over my poster with this in mind and give me scores. Help me to see the places where I'm not actually connecting the dots between my hypothesis and my results. And I'm not really connecting the result, the dots between my results and my conclusion. And because as the person who did the research, I know all the dots, right? I'm in my mind. I have filled in all the blanks, Yes, but I may not have written them down. And so I think having somebody who is not quite so familiar, look through your poster with you. Exactly. And this is the challenge of becoming an expert in anything, right? You know it, and you forget that other people don't know it. So you know exactly what your hypothesis is, and it's just really easy to blow by that and forget, oh, it's not explicitly stated anywhere on the poster. So even if you are there describing it to the judge, and you say, my hypothesis is, the judge may still be looking for, is it on the poster, right? Those are the kinds of details where it's really, really easy to forget some of those little little pieces. So getting assistance from other people becomes so, so useful in that kind of context and getting their 
their feedback. You know, you want to find people whose opinions you trust and who are willing to tell you when you're being stupid. That is the best kind of friend that you can have, right? Can you give us the short course on presenting the poster? I'm, I'm seeing in some of these score sheets, some of them focus entirely on what did you write down on the poster? But there are some that say mm -hmm. presentation elements. This one says the student addressed the audience, not the poster. Speaking volume, speaking clarity, mannerisms. Yes. So can you walk us through the, the actual presentation portion? In terms of presentations, facing the audience is a really, really big one because I really do see people, a ton of people who will turn and look at their poster and as they're walking through their poster and they're not looking at me. But that's a psychological safety thing, right? Like I feel nervous if I'm looking right at a stranger, I might feel more comfortable if I turn away and look at my poster. Sure, but there's ways that you can look at the poster but they're not seeing your back, right? Talking to somebody's back is really, really hard. And then, you know, somebody who can't see you, they, they can't, they don't have an opportunity to ask you questions. So if you're going to look, you can sort of turn to your poster and, you know, gesture, look at it, do all that stuff and be looking at it so that you're not having to do the direct predator stare into their eyes, you know, that, that confrontational stare, right? No, you don't want that. But that way, they're at least facing the front of your body and not looking at the back of your head. That's kind of the, the trick. And again, it just comes back to you want to have a conversation and try to figure out, okay, well, what makes a good conversation? I think everybody in the last few years has been on Zoom calls where there's nobody who has their camera on, right? And, you know, if you've been on those Zoom calls, how much do you bless and thank those two or three people who have their camera on and are nodding? You know, it's so like they, they're your batteries and like they give you that energy, right? And be able to sort of face an audience in some way or at least not turn away from them is such a big part of that being able to make that connection and again different kinds of rubrics are going to place different emphases on those but i think you know facing the audience acknowledging people and giving you know sort of watching for that those moments when people sort of make that face where they furrow their brows or their eyes glaze over and where you can really sort of keep up like are they nodding or are they, do they look confused, right? If they look confused, you can stop them and say, okay, what is it that I just said that you need a little bit of clarity on? Because you, you look confused, right? And being able to not just give the canned speech, but take advantage of the fact that you've got somebody right there and you can really see what it is on their face, whether they look like they're getting it or not, is really valuable in terms of presentation as well. It's such a profound point, too, because when I'm giving the big audience presentation, you know, I've got the screen behind me, and I've got 300 people. Even if I could, which I can't, because the audience is usually mm -hmm. dark, even if I could see a person confused, I can't stop the presentation to help one person move forward in their understanding. And with the poster presentation, I really do have the opportunity. It is a one-on-one -on -one medium or a one-on maybe two or three or five. And 
it gives you that chance to really address this person's concerns and to use those facial expressions and the body language. You know, you and I have talked about when somebody really is trying to gnaw their arm off to get away from a poster, you can see that in their face (laughs) and you could be generous and give them the opportunity to go or you can plow through with your presentation and hold them there. But I think using those interpersonal moments, it is such a great forum for that. And one other thing that I will say that I see a lot in poster sessions is there are a case where people will sort of have the tour of their poster, their little five minute walk through their poster. And while you are talking to maybe one or two people, somebody else walks up, right? That's hard. And there are some people who do this deliberately. So they do this deliberately because they actually are trying to sort of lower that intimidation threshold. So they're just trying to come in and they are deliberately lurking. They're deliberately eavesdropping. But one of the things that I have noticed is that sometimes people get so caught up in the conversation with the people who are already there that there can be maybe two or three or more people who will walk up who are clearly interested in the poster and they want to talk to you about the poster, but you get so involved with the con- the existing conversation that they end up walking away. Yep. And they don't come back because there's too much other stuff or they might not come back. So another thing that I think is really important when you're giving a presentation is when somebody walks up to the poster, acknowledge them. You know, even if you're deep in conversation with somebody, just sort of take a second to turn, say, hi, I'll be right with you or sort of move so that they can be kind of in the circle that they're, again, they're not sort of looking over your shoulder at the poster or anything like that. Because after all, one of them might be a judge. Right. Because judges don't always announce in a poster competition that they're a judge. They just look like all the other conference goers. And some might say, I'm judging the poster session, but they don't always do that. And so you kind of have to treat everybody as potentially somebody who's going to be assessing your poster and your presentation. And you do not want to be so deep in a conversation with somebody that a judge gives up and walks off. You're the host at a dinner party, right? You you are the person welcoming people to your poster and you can either ignore them and make them feel like they are not welcome at your poster or you can try to make mm-hmm. them feel like they're part of that conversation. And that is your yeah. role. Nobody else can do that at your poster. Yeah. And again, a lot of people are, they just want to eavesdrop. But even then, it's still possible to let them eavesdrop and be that sort of low-key following along and still make them feel like you recognize that they're standing there and you're not ignoring them, right? Totally. And and do you see other common foibles, traits, uh, habits that crop up in poster presentation? I think, as I said, the other thing that I see people forgetting to do is asking people, what's your connection to the research, right? And saying, what is it that you're here to get? And I think that is just so, so important in having that conversation. They might Um, tell you they're the judge. That'd be great to know. (laughs) 
that they might they might tell you that if they're I was required to come look at your poster I didn't want to but <laughs> this is the rules one of the hardest parts I think of presenting a poster and and one of the things that you may be judged on is how you answer questions and do you have any advice around that mm. that can that can be so nerve-wracking to be asked a question maybe you know the answer to and maybe one that you don't and there's going to be a part of the back of your mind that says I need to bluster or word salad or something to fill the space instead of saying, I don't know the answer to that. So what advice can you give us for dealing with those tough questions? I think that there's a few things. When you have been in this for a while, one of the things that you start to learn is common weak points. And one of mine that I have caught in an amazing number of people on is I look at the graphs and I say, what are the error bars showing? And they don't know. <laughs> and it's just become a, a point now where I ask it to people a lot, just kind of to see if they know or not. So usually things like knowing what's on your graphs is something that sounds really easy, but a lot of graphs have a lot of detail on them. And so people will quite often like ask about particular parts of the data. Now, one of the things that you can do uh, to help prepare for that is, again, before you do go to the conference, if you, again, reverse engineer this so that your poster is ready a few days before you have to travel, right? Give sort of a mock presentation of that. Show it to other people in your department. Show it to other students. Show it to other faculty. Honestly, I know that many, many faculty members, like this is one of their favorite things is to see a student talking about their research. So even if it's like just somebody in the department that you maybe you've not taken a class with or you maybe don't know real well, but if you can just sort of like go around to a few offices and say, hey, I'm going to a conference next week. Can I show you my poster down in the conference room? Can you just take five minutes or something like that? A lot of faculty are going to be really, really willing to help you out and give you five minutes to look over your poster and ask you questions about it. Um, and, you know, when you have the second or third person who's asking, I don't understand what this graph is showing to me. Time to go back and maybe there's time to revise that graph or do something, explain it better. Because typically the first explanation that you give of something is not going to be the best one. You know, it takes you a few tries to really drill down and give a nice, concise explanation of, of your graph or your story. And so just being able to practice that with a listening audience is going to expose a lot of the potential cracks that you can maybe fill before the, the the conference starts. Well, and I just love your optimism that I'm going to have my poster done before the night of the <laughs> conference. I, I aspire to it, and I love that you think that hey, it's possible. Hey, do you want to win or don't you? <laughs> don't you? Do you want to learn Kung Fu? <laughs> I do, I do. Uh, what else? What else do we need to know to win this poster competition? Yes. Well, okay, I suppose there's one other thing that can be worth thinking about. We mentioned at the start of this that usually you have to submit a title and abstract 
sometimes months before the actual conference. That's right. And one thing that can be useful is that you shouldn't necessarily feel that you have to stick to absolutely everything that you submitted all those months ago. So if you think of a better title that is more on point, say, or you realize that there was an error or there's something that you could have done differently, don't feel that you're obliged to stick with the thing that you submitted those months ago. Make the updates. And I will say this, the title, I come back to that in particular, because titles are so important and they're so underrated. And just remember that for most people at a conference, the only thing that they'll ever see about your poster is the title. So a title is absolutely critical. That They're going to look at your title and from that decide whether, in most cases, decide whether to stop or not, whether it's relevant to them or not. And nobody comes up with the best title on the first try. So you really have to reiterate and try multiple titles and you are very, very unlikely to get your best title on the very first try. So be willing to revise the stuff that you were doing all that time ago. And just as we were just joking about, so many people do the posters at the last minute. If you want to win, you really do have to leave yourself that additional time to really stress test the poster, where you really are going to spend a little bit of time making sure that it is good and not the week before spending two days, which is what most people do. Most people spend about two days making a poster. Not enough time. Can I ask about titles? Because I've seen a lot of different forms and I can't tell Mm -hmm. whether you're saying the sort of a uh, dry description of what the research found is good or whether I want something punchy or I, I need to have like the statement and then the semicolon and the subtitle. Like, <laughs> what what are we after here? The title is... Am I, is, am I trying to be provocative? Why, like what is the... This is why titles are hard, yo. This is why titles are hard. And different people have different approaches to them. And there's pros and cons to them. With a title, personally, I like to make that a statement of what I will learn, of what the is the main finding of the, the project. So that if somebody just reads my title, they've learned something. They've learned something they didn't have before. I don't like titles which are just like the effect of X on Y. Yeah. Well, you take two things and it's like, well... Okay, if you're saying that there's a relationship between X on Y, does X increase Y? Does X decrease Y? Does X have no effect on Y? You know, you've done the research, you can tell me. Don't just say a generic effect. Just tell me what the effect is, right? Exploring Um, the impact of Australian snakes on the ecology of something. Like, okay, (laughs) you're exploring it. Yes. Great. Uh, So you definitely want your title to be short. You don't want a long title that runs on for, you know, a very long time. And again, that's partly just because of the physical nature of the poster. If you have a shorter title, you can have the text bigger. And we talked before about the importance of fewer words, plain English, larger text. 
that just is a winning combination. And so if you have a very long title, you're going to have to make it smaller, uh, like physically smaller point size, and it's going to be harder to read. Now, you can go too short, and you can make a title which is confusing. I'll give you an example of my own. I did a poster which was cloning crayfish cell culture. Four words. So I kind of won in terms of short, but it was too short, I realized, because the cloning, well, is that referring to the cells or is right. it referring to the crayfish? And and so I realized in after the fact I had gone too far and I needed to make a little, I mean, to make just a few more words. It should have been probably cell culture from a cloning crayfish. Very different from what I expected. Yeah. So it's still pretty short, but better than the one I came up with. A few other things. A lot of people like to have questions in their titles. There's a little bit of research on that, which shows not from posters, but from actual published papers, that papers that have question marks in their titles that ask a question that you're supposed to read the paper to get answered actually have lower citation rates. So I sort of look at that and go, that's maybe an indication that you're overloading people. Yeah. And that maybe you're asking too much for people to, uh, here's a question. Do I care about the answer? What might the answer be? All of these sorts of things. Um, you're making people work for that. Um, and I realize that the goal there is a good goal because you're trying to lure people in with a murder, with a mystery, right? Right. Exactly. Everybody loves a mystery. Like if you, if you pose a question, will that be irres an irresistible mystery? But you've got to remember that people have to be in the right frame of mind for that. And conferences are very busy, very loud, and people are tired. And just the idea of, oh, do I have to actually work to understand this? I, did, I came to the conference to learn a few things. I'm not trying to do an escape room here. <laughs> this is not the time. And so I, I tend to warn people away from trying to be clever or funny because, again, People are tired, people are standing a lot, and jokes are, are tricky, you know, because when people don't get a joke, it's like there's there's few things that are less fun than trying to explain a joke. Right? <laughs> so and it's like if people don't get there, and especially at a big international conference, if yeah, you make a baseball reference or you make a pop culture reference, and like so many people are just not going to get that. It, it won't seem funny to them. It, it will just be puzzling. So that's why I, I tend to lean a little bit somewhat. I mean, I've, I've done kind of the, the, the longer titles with a question mark too. I mean, you know, I've done that. So these are not hard and fast, but I generally like simple declarative statements of what you found so that they read the title, nothing else. They've learned a thing from me. And they can go off and be happy. <laughs> Take it or, <laughs> or leave it. Or at least hopefully happy. Yes. Well, you and I have covered a lot of ground and looked at this poster concept from an angle of how to win a presentation. And I hope people understand that winning a poster presentation is not equal to having the best poster possible. I think we've, we've covered that. But yeah. There's a bit of a game in there. And as long as you can figure out the rules and try to play by them, you have a pretty good chance. And I think the 
the results, the benefit of winning one of these poster competitions are high enough, it's worth trying. If you're already putting the work into the poster, I would encourage listeners to consider entering these competitions. It's fun to win. <laughs> you know, it, it is. And it's maybe not as hard as you think. I mean, again, this is not to take anything away from people who don't like competition or because some people are not competitive. They don't want to get in that. But there's other people who really feel like competition brings out the best in them. And whichever way you fall in, I think that, you know, we'll love your posters either way. But if, if you are a competitor and it does bring out the best in you, then by all means. And, and it's good go practice it. either way. Thank you so much again for taking the time to come back on the show and remind people where they can find you and your book online. So if you are looking specifically for poster content, look for Better Posters blog. And that is the original hub of poster content information, which has been running for, oh, more than a decade now, which is the polite way of saying I am old. <laughs> Too long, right? And I am Dr. Zen on most. That is probably the way that people will be able to find me on social media. That is also my website, drzen.net. And hopefully, I, I am always happy to take questions on any way that you can get in touch with me. Love a question. Thank you so much. And, and I'd love to have you back to talk about some of the work you're doing with accessibility in some of these realms. And so listeners, stay tuned for that. And if you have questions for Dr. Zen, definitely find him on social media, or you can write to us podcast at hellophd.com and we will try to make the connection. So thank you so much. Hi, Dan. I want to go out there and sign up for a poster presentation so I can win an award. I think I'm ready. This is the exact Josh version of how to win in any board game. So <laughs> for everybody out there, if you play a board game with Josh, it will go like this. You're building your little uh, resources. You think you're doing a great job. And then it turns out Josh has actually read the instructions and he knows <laughs> that he can win through this loophole off to the side. It's, it's written down. He is absolutely accurate but he always wins because he knows the rules. And so, Josh, I just thought you'd really appreciate Dr. Fox giving the advice. Figure out what the rules are and play to those rules. Even if you didn't play the perfect game, you played to win. Work smarter, not harder, Dad. That's my philosophy of life. That was my philosophy in graduate school, and I think it worked out okay for me. <laughs> you did all right. <laughs> Dan, I had a couple thoughts that, that I wanted to, to bring up around this topic of poster awards. You've judged some, haven't you? Over the last 10 years or so, I have judged a bunch of posters. You know, I'm not presenting posters very much when I go to conferences, but several times a year I find myself as a poster judge. And so it was interesting to, <laughs> to listen to this topic from, from that point of view. Um, you know, Dan, one thing I can say for myself as a poster judge is very seldom, very seldom is my score when I judge a poster driven by the way the poster looks, but it really is driven by that interaction that I have with the presenter and the way they connect with me and the way they share, the way they're able to communicate their project, their science, the big picture, and why I should care about that. I think the best presenters do a good job of learning about who you are, what you know, and making it interesting for you. So it's not even so focused on the physical poster itself. Is that what you're saying? When you're judging those posters, it's really about, am I learning something from this person? 
Yeah, that's true for me. And, you know, I think you could look at it two ways. One, often, you know, when I I go away and sort of enter my scores in and reflect on the presentation after we're done, and what sticks with me is the presentation itself. So thinking about it on the flip side, or, or thinking about it another way, someone could have designed the most beautiful, perfect, engaging, physical poster, but if they weren't able to present it well, or if they just stared at me while I was standing there judging their poster, uh, there's no way that would have, would have received high marks. Because again, if it was just about the poster, the physical poster itself, you wouldn't need to be there, right? We wouldn't judge you at all. We would just walk around looking at the posters and see which one you know, which piece of paper got the point across the best. Um, but you know, the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, as you mentioned, Dan, you never won a poster award though. I think you presented posters. Um, I presented my fair share of posters during my career. Uh, I don't believe that I ever won a poster award either. And so I did think it was important to say, we spent a lot of time today talking about that as a thing you can do, a goal you could have, and you might as well. If you're going to be presenting a poster at a conference, there's the opportunity to win an award. It can look really great on your CV. It can certainly be a boost. A lot of times there's a cash prize and nothing wrong with that. That's always great. A little bit of recognition and visibility at the conference if there's an award ceremony. However, I don't think going for a poster award is a reason, is a primary reason at least, to go to a conference and present. I think there are other benefits that we've covered numerous times on the podcast before that are benefits of presenting a poster at a conference that'll benefit your career way beyond that of simply winning an award. And also following from that, if you do go present a poster and you don't win an award, which most people don't win an award, that's not indicative that you're not a good presenter or that you're a lesser than scientist, right? Because I think one thing you might take away uh, from the interview, Dan, with Dr. Fox is there can be certainly a method to the madness. There can be a way to approach the presentation to increase your chances of winning an award, but that's not necessarily synonymous with those are the best scientists and they're the best communicators of science. So I think it's important to state that. You're so right. Uh, if you don't win the poster award, you should definitely quit science and go find a different <laughs> career. I think that's what we're saying. No. And, and uh, you know, Dr. Fox, uh, I think, is giving us the secrets behind it to help maximize our success. But at the same time, Josh, to your point, I think these are it's a matters of degree. It's a fractions of a few points that might make the top poster versus the second poster versus the 50th poster. And so I think all, all we're trying to describe here is, you know, if you're going to make this poster and you'd like the chance at the CV item, here's a way to do it. Uh, here's, how, here's how to just, even if you don't expect to win the poster presentation or the poster award, here's a way to make sure that you have everything on your poster that somebody expects to see. So I think it's just a, a way to exercise that aspect of your scientific training. And yes, you, are, you should not quit science if you don't win the award. <laughs> but I think, you know, I'm a numbers person, Josh. Your odds of winning are pretty good if you enter. Your odds of winning if you don't enter, extremely bad. You miss every shot you don't take. Exactly. All right, Dan. Well, thanks for, for doing these interviews for the last two episodes. Obviously, posters are a topic we've covered before, but I feel like this added a new dimension. And after 196 episodes, Dan, 
I'm always intrigued when we can cover new ground and actually broach a topic surrounding grad school and science that we have actually not talked about before. And this episode, I believe, would be classified as such. So, so thanks for that. Well, stay tuned. There's more in the hopper. If there's a question you'd like for us to answer or a topic idea you have, we'd love to hear it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or you can send us a tweet at hellophd. Uh, I'm on threads, but I don't think hellophd has entered the world of threads yet. So if you think we should do that, let us know. Uh, But if you'd like to support the show, the best thing you can do is share it with a friend, a lab mate, or your department listserv. We reach new listeners entirely by word of mouth, so we need your help. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd, and we would appreciate the beer money, and we appreciate the ongoing support from all of our patrons. What you got, Dan? Where, where else should we be? Blue Sky, Mastodon, TikTok. <laughs> we get emails about why we're not on YouTube every week. I don't know. You know, I feel like that is low-hanging fruit, Dan. We just need to figure out a way as part of our workflow to just post these audio episodes onto a YouTube feed because uh, a lot of people do listen to YouTube audibly, like listen to YouTube without the video part, I think, while they're working. I, I know that's a thing people do. Big audience. Uh, so maybe if, if that's something we should do, uh, let us know. Or if you have ideas for how we can do it, let us know. All right, Josh. Well, we will see you next time, maybe in Maryland. I hope so, Dan. I hope so.